you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In our culture, symbols speak. Symbols not only stand for something, but they communicate something. They not only communicate things to us intellectually, but they communicate things to us emotively. They, they invite us into a story of our own life. If I show you a variety of symbols, I would, could be able to share with you ways that my life is, is uh, connected and how your life maybe has connected. As a dad, a symbol that my boys often long to see, especially my youngest, is this symbol, the golden arches. As a five-year-old, this is fine dining to Jonathan Eldridge here. <laughs> a Happy Meal and indoor playground is his cup of tea. Uh, my mom is here with me today and with our boys, and you'll have the pleasure of seeing her here often because she loves me so much that she would come. <laughs> Actually, there's a, a magnetism of three grand boys. Grandpa's day was Friday, so we've had Danielle's parents, and my mom has been with us this weekend. And mom, I'm probably getting this story wrong, but uh, I'll do it anyway because it's not stopped me before so I'll continue now so I'm thinking that when I was five years old or six years old that one of the first kind of birthdays where I could have invited people or my mom could invite people was held at McDonald's I remember this and so you're you're not shaking your head you're not saying anything here so so I continue in the story because I remember it this way it was in a, it was in a land and a time where you could invite clowns to your birthday and not be nervous about it whatsoever <laughs> And Ronald McDonald was there, and my friends were there, and I had a, a good time. So I remember that, because symbols speak. And so anytime you intersect with a symbol, it not only stands for something, but it speaks. And at the heart of our faith are the symbols of the bread and the cup. And these symbols not only stand, they not only represent, but they speak to us. They invite us to remember. They invite us to look within. They invite us to look ahead. We hold these symbols before us today. And in these moments that we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I'm going to allow and invite you to think with me in Paul's words of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've been in a series through the book of Colossians, and we've talked about how Jesus is our salvation, Jesus is our security, and how Jesus is our hope. And today is World Communion Day. And so a year ago, our ministerial staff made the decision for Dawson to continue the tradition of entering with, as John has very eloquently painted the picture of the great communion of saints across our world. Who yesterday, today, as we celebrate World Communion Sunday, we're coming together around these symbols that represent and these symbols that speak. And Paul, in his words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, probably give us the clearest portrait of what these symbols stand for and how they continue to speak to us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 reads, and starting in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person, in verse 28, examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then finally, in verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. We'll come back to Colossians next week, but this is a good time for us to pause, to put a parenthesis for us to focus wholly upon Paul's words to a church that was in the midst of confusion and chaos. Uh, the church in Corinth is a church that was divided around a lot of not only doctrinal issues, not only rivalry, but there was confusion around sexual immorality that had invaded the church as Paul is preaching against that. There's also a confusion that has emerged around the utilization of spiritual gifts. So it's not surprising to us in this first century world that there would have been confusion with the Lord's Supper. It's very difficult for us to pin down exactly how every New Testament church and early apostolic church celebrated communion. But one thing that we do know is that there was the occasion where the agape feast, there would be a, uh, the equivalent of a potluck meal where the church would gather together, they would celebrate worship as they sang and they prayed and they read scripture together and then there would be a meal that would culminate with the exclamation point of the Lord's Supper. And so Paul, in these preceding passages before what I just read to you, he talks to this church about how they were coming with the wrong motives and it was causing dissension, it was causing confusion as they partook of the Lord's Supper. In actuality, they were coming and there were some that were famished. And so when they came to that meal and then went into the Lord's Supper, they would commit gluttony in the midst of it. There were others that would come to the Lord's table and actually get drunk on the wine. So they were using this central symbol and abusing it. So Paul gives him these clarifying words. And in Paul's words, it invites us to first look within, or excuse me, to look back and to remember. The first thing that Paul invites us to do this morning is to look back and to remember. Again, in verse 24, it says, When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we hold this bread in our hand and this cup in our hand, we look back and remember. What do we remember? Well, we remember that our salvation was not outsourced. That God in his providential wisdom did not send an angel to be an instrument of salvation, but he sent his only son. So as we hold this bread in our hands, we're reminded of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But more than that, we are reminded as this bread is broken before us, that while Jesus' body was not physically broken in the sense of his bones being broken, but we do recognize his flesh was broken for the remission of your sins. That his spirit in the Garden of Gethsemane was broken for the remission of your sins and my sins. And so we recognize with this bread the physicality of our salvation, the very incarnation of Jesus Christ. We also recognize that not only the bread symbolizes Christ's body given for us, but we also recognize that this juice symbolizes Christ's blood shed for us. Paul would say in another epistle to the church at Ephesus that in him, Christ, we have redemption 
through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We're reminded in the Old Testament that there was no remission of sins without the shedding of blood, whether it be in the Levitical laws where goats and lambs were sacrificed by a priest for the covering of God's chosen people, whether we look back and remember that original Passover where the lambs were slaughtered and the blood was spread upon the doorpost. So as the angel of death swept through Egypt to bring the Israelites out of their slavery and their captivity, it has always been the shedding of blood that is ultimately the gate and the key, or excuse me, the key that unlocks the gate to our salvation. And so it is, as we hold this cup in our hand, we're reminded that Christ's blood was shed for your sins and for my sins and for any and everyone who would trust in him as Savior and as Lord. Early on in my ministry, I remember in my first church, uh, leading the church to celebrate a Maundy Thursday service. And I remember us gathering together, our, our deacons and myself, and we were trying to plan logistically how many uh, individuals would come to the service. And so he said, one of our deacons, I don't know, preacher, we, we've never done a Maundy Thursday before, so I'm not really sure how many people are going to come to this. We advertised it. We held the service. I remember it being a very solemn, reflective service. Many of you have maybe been a part of a service like this. Until they got to the very back of our sanctuary, and there was fumbling of the plates. There was a sense of mumbling going back and forth. I knew something was occurring. I was standing there in front of the table, and I didn't have clarity until one of our deacons from the very back of the sanctuary screamed to the front, and he said, Preacher, we're out of juice. And in that moment, you know, I recognized that it was way above my pay grade to turn water into Welch's grape juice. So we just went with it. But I tell you, there are times where the elements of the supper are spilt, where the elements of the supper are not prepared to the totality of those that are going to be in attendance. But the great news is that this cup symbolizes, but it also speaks to the wonderful truth that the blood of Jesus Christ covers every sin of every individual that would trust in him as Savior and Lord. There are many of you as children and as teenagers and as adults would have learned and knew that wonderful song that oftentimes, oftentimes has been removed even from hymnals today, that there is a fountain that's filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein and sinners plunged beneath that flood. What? They lose all their guilty stains. Look back and remember as you come to this table, but also look within and repent. Notice again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, that Paul says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In this passage, the clarity, the commendations that Paul gives to the church in Corinthians are, are so specific. And, and, and he's speaking here, and he's making a one-to-one -one correlation between unconfessed sin and physical illness and sickness and even death in the congregation. 
Now, we need to be careful. Much of the Bible is descriptive, but not prescriptive. So this is a description of what was occurring in the Corinthian church. And we can't take this out of its context and say, for every person that comes to the table with unconfessed sin, then there's a one-to-one correlation between death or sickness. That is not what Paul is saying here. But what he is saying is, is that when we come to the table, we must see it as an opportunity to look within and repent. To come to the table with clean hands, only cleansed by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work. My mom is here this morning. I remember as a child playing outside with my two brothers and a horde of neighborhood kids, whether it was basketball or baseball, the sun begins to go down. My mom comes out and says, boys, come on inside. It's time for supper. We would run in like a herd of of cattle into that house. And she would say, go wash your hands. It was, it was a sign of respect to go to the bathroom and to wash our hands, but it was more than respect. There, there was a sense in which it was for the cleanliness of her sons that we would go to not contaminate the food that she had prepared and not ultimately be sick from the, the mixture of the muck and the mire that little boys can get in the midst of. So it was essential and it was a daily thing that I heard, go wash up before you come to the table. And there's some of you here this morning that need to hear the words of the Holy Spirit that are inviting you to wash up before you come to this table. To look within and to repent. It very well may be that uh, there is a sense that pride is parading through your heart this morning and you need to wash up before you come to this table. It very well may be that lust is a leech on your soul this morning and you need to wash up before you come to this table. It very well may be that unforgiveness for a spouse or for a parent, that it has walked with you into this room, it has crept into the bedroom of your soul, and you have the opportunity to wash up before you come to this table. And this is the wonderful gospel news, Dawson, that if you're a believer here, and if you would confess your sins, he through the power of the Holy Spirit, is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to do what? To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is the invitation. Look back and remember. Look within and repent. And finally this morning, as we look and listen very carefully to Paul's words, not only are we called to look within and repent, but we're called to look ahead and rejoice. And this is the wonderful truth of verse 26 that it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what do you do? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we look at these elements, they speak not only of the cross, but they speak of the grand news of the resurrection. And even more than the resurrection, we're reminded that this is an invitation to a table that we as believers will partake of in eternity. As we who will no longer in heaven, as we gather around the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will no longer have to look within and repent because we will look up and behold the Lamb that takes away the sins of all of the world. And as we look up and behold, we recognize that then and forevermore, we will have no more tears. There will be no sense of repentance in heaven because we have been washed once and forever and we behold him as we feast in the house of Zion. We come to this time where we are invited to his table 
And it's an invitation to look ahead and rejoice. It is an invitation to look within and repent. And it is an invitation to look back and to remember. As we come now to this table, there are many questions that oftentimes accompany us as we come to his table. One of the questions that you might be pondering this morning if you're a visitor is who is quote-unquote, eligible to partake this morning. This is not Dawson's table. This is not a Baptist table. This is the Lord's table. So the only prerequisite to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning is that there's been a time in your life where you've trusted Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Our ushers even right now are beginning to make their way across the sanctuary. They're preparing to serve one of you those elements and then all of us as a family of God, will serve one another. You're seated next to a son or a daughter. You're seated next to a brother or sister. You're seated next to a grandchild. You're seated next to a friend. You're seated next to a stranger. But as you pass these elements, you're recognizing that first and foremost, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. As you prepare your hearts, as you look within, as you look back, as you look ahead, may this be a moment where ultimately you look up and behold your great Savior. Let's prepare our hearts even now as we partake of his table.